0: So has God ever failed you? Has God ever messed up? Has God ever done the wrong thing in your life? Well, let me graciously say the answer to those questions is no. But it doesn't always feel that way, does it? No, sometimes it feels like God has messed up. Sometimes it feels like God has let us down, that he's done the wrong thing. Elizabeth Elliot was 30 years old when her husband was murdered by a small group of people in Ecuador while he was trying to tell them about Jesus. Now that sounds like God messed up, right? I mean, here's, here's a missionary, left his life here, went there to tell these people about Jesus, and they kill him the first time he says anything about Jesus to them. That, that sounds like surely God must have messed something up. Elizabeth Elliot stayed right there after Jim died. She stayed among those particular people there in Ecuador. She continued to share the gospel with them. She actually watched the men who murdered her husband come to faith in Jesus Christ. So the question would be, did Jim Elliot waste his life? And the answer would be, absolutely not. His life and his death was the seed of, that actually rescued people from infinite death. That's what separation from God is. That's what dying without Jesus means. It's, It's infinite death. It's the pain and misery of death over and over and over again. His life, his death, rescued people from that type of infinite eternity. But on the surface, people might say, well, no, I think God messed that one up. He, he let Jim and Elizabeth Elliot down. He, he didn't fulfill his promises. They, they went to tell people about Jesus, and he died immediately. Now, somehow God messed that up. But that's not what Elizabeth ever thought. Years later, she said this, God has never failed me. Some of his promises have not worked in the way I expected them to. But over the years, I can see that every one of them has been kept often in a way that I didn't understand and I would not have chosen. The feelings were there, but but the truth was greater than her feelings. The psalmist in Psalm 42, he's, he's having a deep moment of despair. One of those moments where you can't eat and you can't sleep Sometimes you just, you just cry, and you don't know why you're crying. He's having a moment like that, and, and he responded to that moment. And how did he respond? Well, he, he could have said, well, God, you've let me down. God, you've failed me. God, you've messed up. This, this isn't right, but that's not how he responded. He responded in, in a completely different way. We continue our series, Rope of Hope, where we're trying to find in Psalm 42 that that one thing that we can grab a hold of no matter what's happening in life and today the, the psalmist is, is going to help us in this message looking for hope he's going to show us what he did when everything was falling apart he's gonna show us how he responded when he was in deepest despair and hopefully we will see that as a tool a resource and really the only way to live in our day. Psalm 42, beginning with verse six, the psalmist writes, My soul is in despair within me. Now, in verse five, just one sentence back, he he pulled it together. <laughs> He'd already said he was in despair, but he, he pulled it together and he, he started hoping in God again. And then here we are, just one sentence later. I mean, just the next verse. And he is undone all over again. I mean, what happened? I mean, was he, was he writing verse 5 in his journal? And then, and then he finished and he closed it up and then he, just, he left? went to the the island of Waponi Wu and and tried to get rid of his brain cloud and you know just was trying to move on and then and then a month later he came back opened up his journal and and started up with six and and again he's all again full of despair we don't know but but a straightforward reading this guy sounds like a basket case right I mean the, the the definition of an emotional train wreck you know he he's high he's low he's high he's low all in the same sentence Ever been there? <laughs> Ever had that moment? Or maybe he's just a, a real-life person in a really difficult situation. And he's finding that there's moments where he, he can't think, he can't breathe, he can't pull himself together to smile for 30 seconds. Ever been there? Ever had a a day like that, an hour like that, a a week like that, a a year like that? Charles Spurgeon put it this way, the axe has been at work in the forest of your domestic joys. In other words, all of your comfort and all of your safety and all of your security is getting chopped down. Ever, Ever had a moment like that? Ever had a moment where you were completely wide open you were completely vulnerable to everything in life well if you haven't there is coming a day when you breathe your last. you will be completely vulnerable you will stand before God you will be completely vulnerable I mean if you if you want to take it to the extreme you're just going to be naked in front of God nothing and in that moment your vulnerability will be very real even if you're a Christian. I heard someone say recently that that because of the death of Jesus, because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of our salvation in Jesus, the Christian will not receive the wrath of God, but the Christian will stand in judgment before God. And that judgment means that today God expects us to obey. If we call ourselves Christians, if we're calling ourselves a follower of Jesus, God, he expects us to obey. So the question for us at any given moment of our life is, hey, am I striving to obey God? And I want to be sure that that image gets in our minds so so let me just repeat it in a little different way. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've accomplished in life, no matter how much money you may have in the bank, no matter what is happening in your life at any given time, every single one of us will stand completely vulnerable before God. We will be completely vulnerable, and we will have to answer, as Jesus said in Matthew 25, for what we did and what we didn't. And according to the language of Jesus, we will hear one declaration, one of two declarations over the infinity of our existence. And those one of two declarations will be depart from me or inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundations of the earth. Those are the options. If you bring up any search engine, like when just as soon as you bring up your computer, whatever, if it's you know uh, news, or if it comes up, the first smattering you're going to see is every single person in the universe that died. It's stunning. Every time I, I bring up my computer screen on the internet, it is the five or six celebrity deaths that have happened that day. Or, or athletes or politicians or whoever it may be. Anybody who's famous, it's like if they died, it's the first thing you see. So for me, opening the internet has become death. It's just constant. So it's a good reminder, I am not immortal. And you are not immortal. There, there comes a moment for all of us where we will breathe our last. And look, science is phenomenal. The advancement in science is incredible, and they may continue to find ways to help us live longer, but ultimately, no amount of science will ever cause us to escape that every person will one day die. And through the words of Jesus and through even this cry of despair from the psalmist, the question for all of us is which answer will we hear? Depart from me or enter into your kingdom. Inherit this kingdom prepared for you before the foundations of the world. It is a tremendously good thing for the axe to chop down the forest of your domestic joys. Or or to put another way, it is a very good thing when your comforts are taken away from you. Why? because the worst thing in the world that any of us can do is be comfortable in this life and slip into death with nothing to hold on to. The psalmist in this moment, the ax has hit his life. Whatever comforts, whatever safety, whatever security he was experiencing, they're gone. And he is in despair. So how does he respond? Look at the next part of verse six. Therefore, I remember you. He remembers God, not like, oh yeah, I forgot about God. No, no. He, he's remembering God in the ways that the choir just sang to us, right? Do you, you feel the movement of the song? It's kind of slow, we're talking about God and creation, and then you could hear the voices They're getting a little louder a little louder and and then we get to that that moment toward the end of the song the, the majesty and the glory of his name that's what the psalmist is doing the psalmist is having this moment where he's remembering the majesty and the glory of God the majesty and glory of God that transcends the earth look we don't even transcend this room And God, the one true living God, he transcends the earth. His majesty and his glory are beyond comprehension. I heard someone say this week that when it comes to the existence of God, there was nowhere and no when. There's no no place and there's no time. He's always been God. God is God. He has always been. He will always be. His power and his glory and his majesty were there in infinity past in infinity present and infinity future. There is no one like him. There is no one like God. See, we're not here this morning just to be Baptist. We're not here just morning because the bylaws say we're supposed to have church. We're not here this morning just to to see friends or sing songs that we like. We're not here this morning just to, just to hear a message. We're gathered today because many things in our life this week have pulled us away from the majesty and the glory of God. So what we do is we gather together to embrace and discover and rediscover and do everything we can with the majesty and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ we gather to help each other remember and rehearse. Remember the the truth about God, rehearse what God is doing right now and rehearse what God will do for all eternity and what he'll do with us. that's why the choir did such a phenomenal job. They weren't winging it this morning. (laughs) They have practice Every Wednesday night at 545, Beth invites you right now. You're invited. And you know what they do at practice? They rehearse. And Beth says, hang on a second, tenors. basses, I need a little more from you. Hang on a second, altos, soprano. She's rehearsing. They're they're moving through the movements of the majesty and glory of God. And, And so what the psalmist is doing is he's rehearsing. You know, he's 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 making his mind and his heart, even his body, he's going through not the motions just to go through the motions. He's rehearsing because sometimes in life we can't think and we can't breathe. And we need to know the motions of following after God. So that when our emotions are not there, the motions will work for us. And God in his kindness will, will put the two together. 15 times in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites are told to remember God. Here's, here's just one of those times. Deuteronomy 5:15. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. You, you weren't a citizen. You were a slave. It goes on. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and an outstretched Arm. So what they were supposed to remember is they were not free. They, they weren't free. They weren't free to, to go to school. They weren't free to go to the mall. They weren't free to go to the beach or the, or the mountains. They weren't free to vote. They weren't free to, to do anything. They were free to go home, and they were free to go to work. And work was impossible labor impossible hours under impossible conditions. They were slaves. And they were supposed to remember that they had been set free. They were supposed to remember that their freedom was supposed to change things. See, they were overwhelmed with slavery. They had no hope. That was not going to change. It wasn't like when they got 18, maybe they could go to college and escape slavery. There was no escape. And yet God, by his own sovereign choice, by his own sovereign hand, he saved this group of people. He rescued them. He set them free. And they were supposed to remember that, and then that remembrance was supposed to do something. That's what it's supposed to do. Next part of verse 15. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to celebrate the Sabbath day. In other words, they were supposed to remember they were free, and then their freedom was supposed to send them into obedience, whether it was celebrating the Sabbath day or, or anything else that God asked them to do. Their freedom was actually their fuel. Their freedom was fueling them to not just remember but to obey. But here's the amazing part. These people, they are just like you, and they're just like me. You know what they did? They forgot to remember They quit remembering. They quit paying attention to God. They quit remembering that they had been set free. In fact, the generation that was physically set free from slavery, guess what they didn't get to do? They didn't get to go to the promised land. Because they quit believing in and quit trusting in and quit relying on it and quit clinging to God and therefore they died out in the desert. They, They never got to where... They were promised to go because they quit remembering and they quit obeying that's a sad story don't let it be your story don't let the the story of your life be well when i was a kid i remember praying a prayer or well i mean i was baptized i i I think it's on that card down at the church or there's a card down at the church with my name on it so everything's good with me and god Because I did that prayer thing, I did the baptism thing, my name's on so all is good. But that's the opposite of the message of the Bible. doesn't mean those things are evil, but the message of the Bible is if you are a child of God, you are right now believing in, relying on, trusting in, and clinging to Jesus Christ as your full and final and ultimate salvation, and we don't like to hear that. We don't. We don't like to hear that I have to keep following Jesus. We want to say, well, I started a long time ago. I used to be a slave. I was set free, and then I was out in the desert, and I was free, so I forgot God, but I'm still saved. But that's that's not the language that Jesus uses, and it's not the, the language of the Bible. So let the promised land be your promised land not because of the past, but because of right now. Your testimony is what you're doing with Jesus today, not just what happened 20 years ago. The math of this equation, it always works if we can get the math. David Bowden, he's a poet and an author, he put the math like this. If the people of Israel would remember what God did for them, something would happen to their hearts. Oh, it's good, what's gonna happen to their hearts? He goes on. Their hearts would love God. Love is revived by remembering, rehearsing, and treasuring. See, it's the rehearsing of these truths. Look, we come here Sunday after Sunday because there is something about the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God that we need. We need to rehearse it together. It's good for us to rehearse it together. Because here's the thing, if we don't rehearse it together, the opposite is also true. This is what Bowden said. Forgetting what God has done causes love for him to shrivel and die in our hearts, causing us to disobey. So he he breaks it real simply down like this. Forget, hate, disobey. In other words, forget God, ignore God, quit paying attention to God, and ultimately, and really it, it won't be very long, you'll start hating God's ways of doing things. You will, because his ways are, are not my ways, it's not your ways. So if we forget God, we'll, we'll start hating God's ways, and then we'll disobey. But the opposite is gloriously true. When we remember, when we rehearse and treasure, we begin to love God, and we long to obey. It It becomes our passion so let's don't be haters let's be participators okay let's let's participate in in remembering participate in rehearsing participate in treasuring who God is what God has done what God is doing and what God is going to do let us treasure these things and as we do it'll move us toward obedience we have two choices in every situation we'll face this week two choices we we will either forget and hate and disobey, or we will remember and love and obey. So, so let's remember and let's remember and let's remember and let's rehearse and let's rehearse and let's rehearse. I'll let this be a a day where, where we begin to say, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna gear my heart up to start remembering God more. I'm gonna I'm gonna start rehearsing the truth about God in my mind and my heart a lot more. Because that's what the psalmist is doing. His life is falling apart. He's full of despair. But but he says, look, I, I need to gear myself up in a different direction. In the middle of his despair, he says, I need to remember the majesty and glory of God. And he's not just doing it randomly either. He's doing it very, very specifically. Look how specifically he is. Verse six, from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. This is a strange moment to, to play, you know, where in the world is Carmen Diego? you know? But that seems to be what he's doing. You know, he's, he's in this moment of despair and he pulls out a map. Well, what in the world is he pulling out a map for? Why is he remembering these places? Well, it could be a reflection of verse 4 because in verse 4 he's like, man, I can't make it to church anymore. So maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe this is describing how he's far north in the hills from Jerusalem and can't get to church anymore. I tend to think there's also a bit of of spiritual landmarking going on here right that that there's there's something about these spots that are are connecting him with his experience with god things that god has done in his life about 161 miles from here there's a a little road it's about uh, the length almost the length of two football fields it sits about 50 yards from the waves of the atlantic ocean and every time I drive by that little road, every time I walk by that little road, my eyes fill up with tears. Because 39 years ago, it's on that little road that God rescued and redeemed and saved me. And so, so when I'm in despair, sometimes I remember that little road. It has an impact in my moment of despair. There's a wooden plank bench on the top of the hill at Bowman Field in front of Tillman Hall at Clemson University. When I was a young man on that bench along with my friend Tim, I learned how to wrestle in prayer for myself and how to wrestle in prayer for other people. And so sometimes when I'm having a moment of despair, I remember that bench. We all have these these moments, these places that, that move within us, that stir something within us. In March of 1994 I was getting on I-20 if if you're crossing from Georgia into South Carolina the second exit you come to is exit 5 that's the exit that I grew up on in fact my parents house is still there same one since 1969 and I remember in March of 1994 I was getting on the on-ramp to get on 20 to actually head toward Columbia and I was listening to a song for the sake of the call by Stephen Curtis Chapman. As I, as I merged onto the interstate, I could see these gigantic uh, petroleum tanks that are, that are still there on that exit in my peripheral view. And, and there was just this moment where I finally relinquished and I gave in to what God had been calling me to do for 10 years. I just relinquished and said, okay, okay God, if you want me in ministry, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, I normally don't pay attention to things like this, but this coming week will be my eighth anniversary here at the church. And the reason that sparked something in my mind is because when I was in seminary, one of my professors says, year eight is the best year of your ministry. If you can make it to year eight, it's fantastic, you know. And his, his explanation was, um, you know, the people have been around you enough, you know, they trust you, and y'all all move together. And he goes, then by year 12, everything's great, you know. So, uh, so hey, hey, we'll see, you know, maybe, maybe your it will be fantastic, you know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, some people think I'm doing a terrible job and some people think I'm doing a great job and neither one's true, you know. Um, I, I've, I've been listening to uh, several pastors that are in their 70s and 80s this, this week and, and one thing that I have picked up on and, and in fact just heard from one of them is, the longer I'm around you, you know what you're gonna see? you're going to see my strengths and you're going to see my weaknesses. So we're your eight. You're, you're starting to see a lot of my weaknesses. you know. But hopefully you're seeing some of my strengths. So the only thing I keep saying is, God, just keep me. You know, Keep me faithful to you. Keep me faithful to my wife. Keep me faithful to my family. Keep me faithful to the church. Just keep me faithful because for whatever you like or don't like about anything I will ever do at this church, I can promise you that what happened on that own ramp happens every morning every morning that on-ramp is back in my mind in my heart every morning the only thing I know to do is say okay God where are we going today I'm answering your call again today sometimes in my moment of despair I remember that on-ramp I remember that bench I remember that little road you have some spiritual landmarks you got some places in life that that just pop up sometimes I would encourage you, if you don't have any, <laughs> find some. Get, get, get some spiritual landmarks. And if you do have them, don't worship them. Because you can do that. You know, you can go set up shrines at all the spiritual. Don't don't worship them. But be thankful for them. Remember them. Rehearse again what God has done in your life and, and just keep enjoying it. I think that's part of what the psalmist is doing. When his life is falling. Apart, He's remembering. He's rehearsing what he's seen God do. He's, he's kind of saying to himself, you know, this, this stinks. <laughs> I hate what I'm going through right now. This, this is hard. I, w- I wish everything was different, but it's not. And so he's, he's preaching to himself. He's like, hey, self, you know, you've had moments like this before, maybe they weren't as bad or maybe they were worse but but remember god was with you then in fact there's never been a moment that you couldn't turn to god and he has never forsaken you and he will never fail you those are the kind of things we have to preach to ourselves because it's not what's always preached to us in those moments the hospital, and those moments at home, and those moments at work, we're we're not always hearing sermons about the gospel, so we have to kind of preach to ourselves. Elizabeth Elliot was thirty years old when her husband Jim was murdered. It was nineteen fifty-six. Can't even imagine what she experienced or or what she went through. Then. 1969 13 years later she got married to Addison Leach Addison died four years later from cancer so she's buried two husbands now 1977 she got married again to Lars Grinn, and they were married 38 years until she died in 2015 in 2004 she quit speaking because she was a a prolific speaker and and I highly encourage you toward any of her books Um, she's written more than 20 books Um, I encourage you toward any and all of them Um, if if you're on social media uh, on Instagram uh, start following uh, you can follow the Elizabeth Elliot Foundation or Elizabeth Elizabeth Elliot Speaks which are just great quotes or if you're on Facebook you can follow Elizabeth Elliot quotes her quote I I can't even describe them I mean they're just her quotes her thoughts the things that that come through those feeds are, are just tremendous but in 2004 she quit speaking because her dementia was getting so bad in 2014 10 years later Tiffany Owen was writing an article about her for World Magazine and and she went to Massachusetts where Lars and Elizabeth lived and when she got there Lars walked her back in the house to a room where the windows faced out to the Atlantic Ocean and and Elizabeth was there and Lars said um, honey we we've got we got company today and and she just nodded in fact that was about all she had done for about 10 years was nod uh, maybe wave her hand or, or show some facial expressions her Her dementia had just intensified so much so Lars is is speaking to Tiffany and and he tells her that Elizabeth approached dementia the same way that she approached the death of her two husbands and this is how he described it she accepted those things knowing they were no surprise to God it was something she would rather not have experienced but she received it And then Tiffany describes what happens next. Hearing these words, Elliot looked up and nodded, her eyes clear and strong. Then she spoke for the first time during the two hour interview, nodding vigorously, yes. Yes. Just the one word. (laughs) But I think there was a lot behind that one word. I would imagine if she didn't have dementia, if it was 10 years earlier, and she could have spoken much more, I think she would have said, yes, I've had deep despair in my life. Yes, I have experienced pain and loss in the most tragic ways, the most Devastating ways that any person could ever know. Yes, I've had moments where I've been tempted to blame God, to say, God, why did you fail me? God, why didn't you cause this to work out? But then in my moment of despair, I remembered. I, I, I rehearsed what I knew about God what God has done, what God is doing, and what God is going to do for me through Jesus Christ, and I have hope. And I remember the the glory and the majesty of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I remember what God has accomplished through the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the promised return of Jesus for me, for many, but for me. And as I remember those things, I can keep telling my mind, God has never failed me. As long as I have Jesus, God has never failed me. And no matter what happens today or tomorrow or this coming Tuesday, or 10 days from now, or, or 10 years from now, because of who God is, because of who I am remembering, I can keep giving my yes to God, yes, yes. So, I, I just graciously leave us with, with one question for each of our hearts. Are you giving your yes? to God.